You're listening to Wow Ergonomics with Graham Cove and Stephen Howe. Hello, everybody. It's midday. It's Thursday this week. You know that because you know it's Thursday. But this show is Thursday this week. Sometimes it's on the Wednesday. Sometimes it's on the Thursday. It's me, Graham Cove, and Stephen Howe with Wow Ergonomics. Hi, Stephen. How's you? Hey, how have you been, sir? I've been very well, thank you. Actually, the confusing thing as well, of course, Graham, is not only have we moved the show from Wednesday to Thursday, but having a bank holiday in reality is only Wednesday because it is technically the third day of the week. So it's it's all very confusing, isn't it? Certainly this week. Bank holidays are mm. really weird, aren't they? <laughs> and and on top of that, Graham, we've uh, uh, my youngest son's school is closed for polling day today. So a lot of the kids are doing, uh, I think, around the country are doing three day weeks, aren't they? So even more confusion. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you you see that I did manage to do a poll on polling day today. Yes. Um, so yeah, it was, it was quite an interesting news story there in the in the BBC this morning about um, taking selfies. <laughs> Yes, I, I can't imagine why anyone would actually want to take a selfie inside a polling station. Mm. Um, but I guess, you know, it, it just leads to the, the um, fact that some people might then uh, lose their vote um, by by accidentally showing someone voting. Um, but it, it, what the, the uh, news report was saying that is actively encouraging people to take uh, a selfie outside of the polling station to encourage other friends and families and colleagues to vote to vote yeah yeah um, i saw something again on the bbc website that was again sort of threw me a little bit was they, they have a, a a sort of a page where you they show all the the head the the front pages of all the national newspapers every day so if you just want to have a flick through and see what's going on in the world so you scroll down but an interesting thing today was they made a they made a line or a comment that said we can't show the front page of certain newspapers because they're talking about the voting going on and the BBC cannot promote the whole That's voting right. piece, which I, again, was totally unaware. So you flick through and there was only sort of three or four newspapers where they actually gave a bit of a, a, a preview as to what the front page was and what was the main topic, because clearly three or four had gone down the route of talking about polling and therefore they weren't able to have their, their front page um, promoters, as it were, today. Uh, the whole thing about uh, voting and the politics behind the press is really interesting. I mean, when I studied journalism many, many years ago, it was quite interesting. Even back then, we used to talk about a percentage. Um, and depending upon uh, who were the main parties, you could only give them a percentage of time right, okay. in order to talk. Which meant that actually, by by default, any of the parties further down the chain <laughs> would never actually get the the airtime. Yeah, in order to get their view across, <laughs> it's a bit chicken and egg, isn't it? Really, they need more airtime to publicise themselves, but until they've got more sort of until they're better known they can't have more airtime. So it's almost again almost just perpetuate the the two or three party state because you're almost 
in inverted commas, locking out those non-mainstream parties, aren't you? Yeah, and it was a rule. It was a rule. That's that's right. what you had to do. You know, um, you had to give so much to Conservative, so much to Labour, so much to Lib Dem, anybody else. <laughs> you know, uh, you, they could they could fight for that that extra five percent on air, but that's all they were going to get. You know, they were going to get five ten percent on of of the time on air. That that was it literally um and the only other way of doing it obviously was to make an absolute fool of yourself at, <laughs> at the, the voting station which is where you know parties like the monster raving loony party actually came in and, and for a while you know they 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 gained a few seats was by making a fool of yourself was it lord such was that his name yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah and well, who was who's the comedian of the the pub landlord? What what's what's his oh, name? Oh, um, oh, Al Murray. Al, Al Murray. Al, yeah. Al Murray. Did you did you see that a few years ago when he stood? Oh, yeah. yes. Well, that was that was tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So yeah, I think you know, unless unless you're a celebrity, um, potentially, uh, you know, causing a bit of chaos as well, then. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, LinkedIn user. Yeah. Um, screaming Lord screaming Such. Lord yeah. Such. By the way, you've come up as LinkedIn user. It's one of these things that happens sometime. If you want to let us know who you are in the comments, please do. Why does that uh, happen, Graham? I know when I've gone into other shows of yours, it's my name's come up as LinkedIn user. Why is it, is it something we haven't done to set up? Or no, no, it's just a connectivity issue. I, okay. I'm guessing it's just a, a an API issue between certain users and the interface and it's not actually pulling across their details there you uh, okay. go it's one of the things for the Streamyard boys to answer yeah hi Streamyard. if you're if you're listening why does that happen sometimes can we sort it out please that would be good good afternoon alistair thanks for joining us this afternoon oh we've got some uh, got some people coming in i always love alistair's photos yes look at him <laughs> He should he should just be on um question time, I think. <laughs> Looking like that. Oh, David Lofthouse, and I haven't got a clue where my pretty face has gone. Oh, there you are. That's our LinkedIn user. So what what uh, what topics have we we've got a special guest coming in around about half past, so stay tuned for that, folks. If you want to know anything about um office seating, seating for the home, if uh, if you want to ask the questions that have been burning in your mind about ah oh, how do I get comfortable? What sort of seat should I be buying, etc. We have a special guest to answer all of those questions at half past. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you have to put up with me and Stephen for for half an twenty five minutes now. Well, we did have another. We did hopefully have another guest who has just emailed me. So hence my apologies if I was looking down and not looking straight forward. Oh, right, who is having right. she? Who is having a few issues connecting, Graham? So we we do. Um, possibly have a another guest, but she is having some issues um, technological-wise. So if she can't get on, we may have to hold her back for next week or the week after. But we were hoping to have someone else, and we're going to touch on the whole area of inclusivity, but we might have to wait on that unless suddenly she is able to join and a third screen appears and we just drop everything we're doing and we talk to her. So We'll do that, absolutely, if we get a third yeah. person in. Now, so you've, you've found... Uh, about four stories this week in the news that did. were worth covering. It was um, almost what? as if this move to a Thursday, Graham, was sort of written in the stars because um, I, I, there were in the last 
1617 now is four articles um, from my favorite source, which is the BBC website. But actually, there's a huge amount of information on there. I mean, the, the main one was talking around, um, I think this, and in fact, I was just out in the car before, and it was the main headline on Newsbeat on Radio One. Um, and they were actually talking about the fact that the top 50, they've interviewed top 50 companies in the UK, and 43 have said hybrid working is the way they're going to go. Um, and four of them are very much keeping hybrid working as a watching brief. So I guess if you work in percentage numbers, it's pretty significant. There'll always be one or two people who who want to get people back to the office, like we've touched on before from a collaboration perspective. But the numbers are really pulling through. And I think it said something like those top 50 companies or the 50 companies they interviewed covered around a million workers. It's amazing. So huge and again i think i shared that article on linkedin and a lot of people have jumped in and commented and and sort of liked and shared so clearly it's something that you know we've spoken about on a on a weekly basis but it's just growing and growing and growing isn't it really yeah i saw your post on that this morning you may have seen that i commented on it yes did you yes that we discuss um, it on wow ergonomics which we are well i said that we discuss it on wow ergonomics and i also said that i i know a uh a bus driver in London that's okay. gone to remote working um, and he can now be found in the Out Hebrides. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing about all of this as well, isn't it? Is that, you know, when we talk about a million workers, I mean, that doesn't sound an awful lot, but obviously there are an awful lot of people who can't necessarily fit into the hybrid working. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you, t- if you take, uh, if you take the, where I live here in the Southwest, for example, um, the majority of the population of, of my local town don't actually go to work in an office. Uh, mm. the, the majority of people here work in a factory. Um, yeah. you, you know, you can't do that hybrid working. So you either, <laughs> you're either turning up for a shift or you're turning up for a shift. Um, <laughs> you know, you're not yeah. going to suddenly get people on the breakfast bar at home putting together henry hoovers is that so that's not going to happen no um so I, what would be really interesting to find out um and if anyone has any kind of figures for this that, that we'd be grateful for that over yeah. the next few weeks would be what's the breakdown in terms of types of worker that are yeah likely to be going hybrid you know, uh, or which ones, which ones, which sort of people are going to be staying at home and working more and which ones are going to be going back to the office more. Um, you know, going back to that news story uh, that we covered a couple of weeks ago about HSBC and the management moving out, et cetera, yeah. at, at the top of that building. Is it is it higher management that are deciding to work from home? Is it, is it you know, uh, p- people further down the line that are going to go back to the offices. It'd be really interested to find out what the spread of that is. It was quite interesting as well. Again, I can't think if it was in that article or something else I was reading where they were saying in preparation for going back to the office. And this almost goes against everything that you've sort of been thinking is that that is that the trains and the buses to cope are going to put on more capacity. So to allow social distancing so their numbers are going to be nowhere near what they were previously but to but to almost allow social distancing they've got to beef up the capacity so you you know 
it's almost as if that's going to put a huge amount of cost in, isn't it? There's a huge amount of cost going to go into the transport network to support the fact that there's fewer workers going in. So it's, it, you know, what, what, what's the sort of knock-on effect of that? Will we see, I mean, we, you know, will there be longer working hours expected? Well, that's not going to happen because it's a unionised industry, um, you know, but are people going to have to pay more to go to the office because they need more trains, more tubes, more buses? And like we've touched on before, Graham, about stealth pay rises, is that going to make the drive to work at home increase? Because people are going to go, well, actually, instead of me paying £8 a day on the tube, I've now got to pay 12 well, it's even more a reason why I want to work at home. So it's it, there's going to have to be some sort of, I don't know, sort of subsidy or something's going to have to come along because the numbers just don't stack up, do they? You know, you're going to have to have more capacity to move less people. That's got to be paid for. Those people are then not going to maybe going to want to go in. They're going to want to stay at home and therefore you need less capacity. So it's it's such a, a fluid situation, isn't it? Absolutely. No, it is. I'm I haven't got the answers to that at no. this moment in time. It'd be it'd be really interesting to see. I I I just can't see how people will want to go from more money in their own pay packet from working from home to paying out additional money or additional yes. costs on what they they were paying in order to get to work. So really, really interesting to see. And and you know. I wonder whether some of this is that kind of tension and pull between, uh, especially for the Chancellor, yeah. as to, you know, we we need to get all of these infrastructures back working again. We need to get support of, uh, you know, local infrastructure as well. Uh, and, you know, the coffee shops and all of the people that, you know, the, the cafes and everyone that supports people that are going back to work. Mm. Um, but actually how it hits the individual at individual level. And I'm pleased to say we've got Jodie here. And I think I think she's I think she's up and working. Yeah, she is. So here she is. Jodie. <laughs> Hello, Jodie. Hello. I Hello. am here. Um, I was actually trying to improve my background with something that doesn't look like I'm sitting in a pub. Um, well, I we can just see the word vodka. We can see the word vodka, that's all that matters. All it says yeah, is, uh, we've, we've, say no, vodka. Yeah, it actually says say no to vodka. It's 40% stronger than me. Um, it, 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 it says um, that because technically I have a bar in my house and I'm relegated to downstairs because we're both working from home. So I usually use a nice background and I can't get it to work. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. That's a lovely background. That's yeah. real. That's authentic. That's fine. So that's good. Definitely so authentic. Jodie, for, for people that have never met you before um, on uh, one social media platform or another, do, do explain who you are slightly and, and, and give us a give us a little bit about your background. Yeah, no worries. So I'm Jodie. I am the founder of an organisation called Be People Smart. And basically, we support organisations across all sectors um, strategically, but end to end to improve disability inclusion and accessibility. So making sure that people have an equitable experience at work, but also an equitable experience being your customers. Um, yeah, I've never seen a business model that doesn't include people somewhere. So it's really important. That's really good. Okay. So Stephen, did you have some questions for Jodie? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Jody, we've we've spoke before uh, over a couple of years on in in sort of various sort of um, sort of platforms and levels. But I, I'm really, you know, one of the things Graham and I are talking about, and as a common theme through our show, is around hybrid working, home working, returning to the office. How, how does that? How are you having to change, or what impact is it having on the work you're doing? Trying to sort of integrate in home hybrid returning to the office what sort of impact is that of having on a um on an from an inclusivity perspective yeah i think there's a few key things first of all there's um some people who are making an assumption that home working is always better for people with disabilities um and like everybody else it's there's very much a personal choice it depends on your home setting it depends on your work patterns and all sorts of things and also your family and how noisy your children are um so all of those things come into it. So it's really important not to make any assumptions about anyone based on any kind of demographic. But also for some people, actually, if they've been very isolated and that's been really tough, and for a lot of people, of course, that's really had an impact, especially on their mental well-being. Being back in the office, feeling a sense of new normality, getting back in there, you know, in hearing distance without a headset on of your colleagues can make a real, real difference. And the other thing is there is a bit of hesitance with phase, you know, re-entry and so on um, as to how they can actually make accessibility adjustments. Because, for instance, you know, not all desks are even in use and all that kind of stuff. It's absolutely doable. I think the biggest message I would give is we can't play a safety card to get out of accessibility and inclusion. So it is absolutely essential that we do still talk to people, find out, you know, what is it that they actually need to make sure that they're productive, that they can get into the office, they can, you know, do all the things they need to do. And then how can we make that work? It may be different to how we made it work from previously, but it doesn't mean we can't make it work. You know, people are quite pragmatic as a rule. You know, we know that the world has changed. So as long as you have an open conversation, I have no doubt people will be willing to work with you, but there are no get out clauses here. You know, you want the best out of your people. And of course, they want to achieve that. Like, people go to work wanting to do a good job. Otherwise, you know, you, you can't get the same pride. So it's just really important that you do have those conversations. Yeah. OK, I, I understand. I kind of understand both sides, having been a workplace assessor for years. Um, I, I mean, in the main, if if you look at some people that I would have assessed over the years in especially in sort of call center situations or or you know open open plan office situations where some of those desk spaces would have got shared occasionally um as some people have an awful lot of adjustments around their desks and I can see I can see where the concern might be raised by some health and safety officers as to you know we've got a lot of equipment on this desk you know demounting it all on a you know day-to-day basis to make sure that it and get it all clean in order to get someone else in uh for the next shift might happen so i mean have you offered any kind of advice to, to businesses around that and you know uh tips for how they can how they can yeah. accommodate different people to this point it's been very generic and it has been about having no conversations and of course we are also here for our clients to make sure that we can do a bit more sort of direct advice when there's case by case basis um i think that's the biggest challenge right everybody's needs are different you know it's not like you take all deaf people and then this is what they need and all blind people or people that are, you know uh, with reduced vision and this is what they need um so that's why it's so important that it has to be that direct 
engagement. Now, I'm not saying you're going to find a perfect solution in this new way of living for everyone, i.e. what they would really want to achieve. But it is about, you know, being open, being honest, like this is what we've got. This is what the bare minimums we have to achieve from a kind of legal safety, whatever standpoint. How do we make sure you can also get what you need? Because I think that is the thing that concerns me a little bit is this. And I've said it already, but it's not a get out clause. You know, we have to make sure that people are cared for. And to be honest with you, if you don't care about your staff and your customers, your business is going to fail. So, yeah. you know, we need to care about the people that are actually producing for us and also the people that are literally paying our wages by being our customers. Yeah. Has it been a bit of a concern for you as an organisation as well, uh, just how few companies have actually carried out assessments of staff as they've been at ho as they've moved from the office to home um during this this pandemic period and now as they move back are not going to do assessments again as they move back into the office yeah <laughs> i'm trying to think of a longer way to put that yes um <laughs> yeah. there are some organizations doing more than others right yeah. which is great um, and it's not even a slight on those that aren't because there's been so much going on. I mean, none of us expected to see this happen in our lifetime. So the fact that we've been living through a pandemic and everyone's been trying to continue. And one thing I would give businesses obviously a lot of credit for um, is being able to continue, you know, being able to get infrastructure in quite last minute that enables people who have never worked from home before to do just that. However, that doesn't stop the fact that people are sitting on the ends of beds and things because they don't live in an environment that's fit for purpose and they're not provided with you know a, a laptop table a, a suitable chair and all these kind of things so there is a balancing act but I think whenever we talk to um, businesses that have a trust-based kind of model so you know people really need it really does work you don't really get the regret cost that everyone fears that everyone's going to jump to I need 17 chairs because I like to sit in 17 rooms for my you know well-being <laughs> it doesn't happen so, um, yeah, I think it is really important, again, that people are considering this stuff. And then you've got the other factors that some organisations have actually enabled things to be shipped to homes. And you've got this thing of, are we going back full time? Because are we shipping it back? Do we need a replica? Um, how is this going to work? And there really isn't a one size fits all. You can have policy and process, absolutely. But that has got to be a conversation. Yeah, I mean, that's for me, that's it at the end of the day, that there isn't ever a one size fits all. There never was, though, outside of this no. pandemic, there never was. And and the trouble was that some businesses always wanted there to be a one size fits all, <laughs> regardless of whether we, you know, we've been through this or not. Um, and in terms of in terms of people um, at being at home and working, you know, you, you mentioned slightly there that it didn't suit some people in terms of isolation, but how have you found, have you got any particular stories about uh, people with disabilities and maybe not getting on with technology in the same way that we perhaps assumed that they might be? Again, you know, there may be assumptions that all of this technology really helps break down uh, um, so, sort of disability and inclusion matters, but actually sometimes it doesn't? Yeah, there's a couple of things that come to mind. So first of all, um, are people who are, you know, deaf or are hearing, um, uh, sorry, uh, hard of hearing, um, 
I've been told off recently for using the term hearing impaired, hence my mumbling. Um, <laughs> so for people who are deaf and hard of hearing, um, it's really important, of course, that the engagement and the tools are there for conversation. Now, captions are fantastic and human transcription is so accurate. It's a brilliant tool, but it's not always possible. I mean, sometimes there are budgetary restraints. I'd love there to never be, but that can be a fact. It can also be last minute conversation, which means that, you know, there wasn't time to make a booking, for instance. Now, automated captions are coming on. So I'm not knocking the fact that we're getting them. They're not great for, you know, clear conversation where everybody's getting the same message because the accuracy just isn't there yet. So I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't want to have to rely on them. That's just a fact. So I think that's one thing that's been a big thing because if by standard practice, someone is used to trying to hold all their meetings face to face because it works better for them. Maybe it's easier for lip reading as well. Um, maybe even, you know, I used to work with someone who had a colleague who'd actually learned British Sign Language and she used to um, enable him through some kind of translation. All of that stuff was fantastic. You lose a lot of that. I mean, technically, if I could sign, I could sign now, but you do lose a lot of that when it's all remote. But also, it's not just that. It's stuff like connections. You know, you, your broadband goes down because it, maybe you haven't got the best in your area. You've missed a whole message anyway. Um, so there's there's the general kind of messaging and capturing and feeling included in that, I think, is uh, one key thing. Um, and another in general, I think it's become more prevalent for communication materials. People don't often create the communications with accessibility in mind. Um, I had a little nosy at both your email uh, images. Um, Stephen, you do have text on yours, but it's not contextual. You might want to have a look. Graham, you didn't. So these are just some of the kind of top tips that we're trying to run out, especially in the run-up to Global Accessibility Awareness Day, if you're not aware, 20th of May. Um, because trying to make sure that all of your communications are actually factoring in accessibility as you create them. And I've mentioned a lot about, you know, hearing about um, sight loss. It's not, of course, you know, that's certainly not exhaustive. We have an awful lot of people with dyslexia, with autism, um, even some mobility impairments because of dexterity. If you don't create your material so that it works for people, they literally miss out. And I think that's become more prevalent because if you don't literally have someone sitting on your shoulder, you can ask a quick question. You don't even realise how often you did that before. All of a sudden, you are really excluded. And that isn't a nice feeling for anyone. No. Jodie, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much. Stephen, have you got any closing questions for Jodie? Yeah, well, I just one, actually. And, and, I, and when I use the word positive, it, it's in the loosest sense of the term. But from, from, from the pandemic that's obviously started back in March last year and is still ongoing, from, from an accessibility perspective, what, what, what's the one main positive that it's actually created, Jodie, do you think? And you may go, actually, it's not one, there's two or three. But if there was one positive from, that, that's come from this, what, what do you think that is? There are a few, but I would say if I have to pick one, it has got to be that the unconverted, as I've always called them, the people that really haven't considered this stuff in the past, all of a sudden they're far more aware. They're finding themselves in office spaces that aren't completely conducive to their, you know, their working practice or what they need to achieve. People who are used to having a PA that literally sits next to them or outside their office door, all of a sudden she might even be in a different country because that's where she's isolated, you know, or he. Um, so... 
I think yeah. what's really important is that everyone's kind of gone, wow, if you don't have all the things that you kind of add to your list and you don't have the office environment that you've ordered in the first place and the people around you literally at the drop of a pin, the world is a different place. And now I kind of understand more how other people must feel. And I do see so much more action in a sense of organisations are going, yeah, we, we kind of get it now. We need to do better. Brilliant. Jody. thanks for joining us. And I, I'm going to catch up with you later to get my email sorted out. <laughs> I thought I'd just put both on the spot. No, no, it's absolutely great. That's, that's no, brilliant. Thank you. Again. Nice speaking to you both. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Jody. Jody. Thank All you. the best. Bye. Brilliant. Yeah. Learned I think we need to maybe ask Jody, Jody back at a point in the future, Graham. It'd be really interesting to, you know, we've sort of got into it there for 10 or 15 minutes. It'd be good to get into it a little bit, a little bit more, wouldn't it, at some, uh, some point in the future on this show? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we mentioned broadband and her broadband wasn't that great. So it was, it was interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone needs to get their broadband better. We're joined now by Andy. Andy. Uh, hello. Hello. Thanks Andy. for joining us. And Andy's from Ergo Chair. So Andy is here to answer any of your questions on uh, office seating or working from home seating. So if you've got any questions to ask Andy about those things, um, please do. In the meantime, we're going to grill Andy anyway. <laughs> and ask him some questions. Go for it. So, so one, of the, one of the things we wanted to know is, look, we during this pandemic period have one of the things that people have been banging on about is you know is it safe to to touch certain materials etc has there been a change in terms of what type of materials people have been ordering in chairs over the over this period you know have have you as a manufacturer seen that uh, a, a move away from one particular material type to another yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been there's been a number of sort of different concerns that have been raised, particularly over uh, the last year. Um, you know, whether that's the fact of uh, the materials are now much more often going into a domestic setting, um, which can mean if an end user is buying the product themselves, there's a bit more of a concern regarding you know the color of the fabric. Um, they're ordering products that. Is it going to suit their home and their home um, aesthetics? Um, on a more serious note, uh, the industry generally sort of complied with commercial uh, fire regulations. Um, and majority of these fabrics don't comply to domestic regs. So from a manufacturer's point of view, we've, we've worked really hard with suppliers to be able to get products in to fit these requirements. Um, and again, from our side, we wouldn't, necessarily uh, know when we get an order if you know it's going into a domestic requirement and that it needs a suitable fabric so we've uh, do we've, they do, sorry to, to interrupt you no there, no problem is, at all. Isn't, it, isn't it also the case that you know there's got to be slightly different labeling on on a chair if it goes into into the home yeah. environment so when you get to the um to the domestic standards it's it's a fire reg it's british standards bs 5852 schedule 4 part 1 and 2 um and what you've got to have there is the it's a legal requirement um to have the correct labeling on the chair um for domestic use not only because you know if the worst case happens there could be a lot of problems with the insurance um 
but the label um, allows you to trace it to source um, to show that it's going to conform to the legislations that it that it needs to. That's it's really quite interesting. I wonder how many people now are actually at home looking underneath their chair to yeah. see whether <laughs> yeah. they've got the right labelling underneath their chair. And and it is the case that a lot of chairs, because they are that are sold into the market because they are actually sold for commercial use will not have the right labeling on them. Exactly. And it's, it's still, we're still hearing um, that people are not able to get domestic fabrics on their chair. So for us, it's, it's a fantastic thing because like I said, we, we did the work last year, um, did some great work with some really good um, partners to get some, some really nice and varied uh, fabrics in. So, you know, for some people, it might be a bit of a tricky subject, but for us, whenever someone comes and asks, it's it's a nice, easy response. And like I said, we've we've got the labeling on there, so so we're ticking the boxes. Um, but it's it's really been the education, um, well, all round really for manufacturers, for the the dealers, for the end users. Of course, there's been a lot of education over the last year through the news because now it's it's a massively hot topic. Um, but that's something that we were working on, you know, whether it was sending out um, email mailers uh, to to our dealer base, um, mentioning it on calls to, to uh, dealers or end users when they come and ask us for advice and just making sure that when they go to the dealer that they, they want to purchase the chair from, that they are aware that they need to be letting them know that it's a domestic environment the chair's going into and yeah it's it's making them aware because there there are different legislations i mean the other big one within the industry is uh crib 5 which mm. is for that's for sort of your public building so hospitality education hospitals and then the generic one is the um the cigarette and match test 1021 i believe which is you know just for commercial buildings so it's I think it's been an eye opener, particularly, you know, if you've you, you've asked your employees to take home the chair from the office. Well, you know, they may be watching this now and think, ah, that doesn't actually comply to the to the standards. So, yeah, been a really interesting, interesting subject to sort of be be part of. But now I think it's just just sort of drumming that message and continuing the education because, I mean, you you look it's company like KPMG, I believe today they announced that after the pandemic, there's going to be two days within the office. So so working from home isn't just going to, you know, completely stop and everyone's going to go back into the office. Um, we know there's a big insurance company called Brightside that have got rid of all of their offices um, mm -hmm. just to have people solely working from home. So it's going to be it's going to be ongoing. Um, but I like to think that because we we understood the requirements sort of quite early doors, um, that we were able to to work pretty closely with with some key suppliers and and make sure we've got got the options for for dealers and end users. And actually, uh, with um, what you're saying there, it's quite interesting because I know I know that it's been a short term solution for a lot of companies to actually just yeah. move their office seating to the home but with with what you're saying is actually sometimes that's not actually going to be a legal uh, that's not going to be legal uh full, yeah. full term that's, so that's it and again 
sorry. Um, so again, where you mentioned there about you know the short term solution, it's we're very much seeing now that you know I don't think anyone realised when we went into that first lockdown that we would still be in the situation we are today. So you completely understand that an employer um, or someone just purchasing a chair for for working from home for potentially you know, a month or two wouldn't necessarily look at purchasing a a higher end chair at a higher bracket. Um, but it's it's something we're finding personally now that, you know, a year down the line, you've got people that, you know, may have had existing MSDs and these have been exacerbated. Healthy people have suddenly, you know, saying, oh, I've got a little bit of a twinge, um, sort of lower back or top of the shoulders. So I, I get that initially people would have maybe wouldn't, would have gone a little bit cheap to, to sort of get a solution out to them. And again, cheap, but also it, they probably were able to get it next day. But yeah, yeah we're, we're definitely finding now that, and it, it ties into the education of the last year as well, that the mainstream media has been perfect because they've, they've been openly talking about this a lot more. Um, so even though we can do what we can, it's now much more in the, the general sector. So, so it's, it's now just sort of, I say, building on, um, but keep keep educating people that, okay, a chair can be, you know, 800 to 1,000 pounds, which is is a, a big initial outlay. But something we always say is when you're, you know, you're in a chair for eight hours a day, how much do you spend on your bed and your mattress? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, and it's just looking at the, the some sort of correlations. Um, but no, it's... Yeah, we're, we're finding now that people are coming back. And just, just a quick question. On, no, go on. Yeah. No, sorry, I was just going to say, just, just touching on that and just expanding it yeah. a little bit. If if you were given a chair by, yeah, if, if you've got a chair at your <clears throat> pr previous place of work and your employer has sent it home so, for you to work on. Sorry, Stephen, my... Uh, typically, just like Jody, my signal just went then. I got, I got oh, to no the problem. start of your question. <laughs> No problem. I was just saying, if you were given a chair from your previous place of work and your employer sent it to your home, and it clearly isn't for domestic use um, because of the certification piece, do you actually need to do anything? Should you be flagging that? Are you are you potentially sitting on what could be a problem if there was a fire in your home? Or will it be one of those things where there are so many out there that it isn't actually a problem? But But should you be flagging it and saying, actually, if I'm staying at home, you need to replace this chair for me? Yeah, and this comes down to the health and safety of. I I think health and safety is such a massive part of companies. It it should always have been, but it even mm. more so now. Um, like you said, I I'm I'm sure there's a a lot of chairs that that don't meet the regs that have been shipped to a home address to mm. to just be used in the interim. But look, we're we're a year down the line now, and if if an end user has got something that doesn't have domestic regs. Absolutely, I we'd be saying get in touch with with whoever at the at the company you work for, um, the health and safety team, and just sort of put it out there because if the health and safety team is aware of this, which again all builds into the education, that person will not allow that chair to to not have the correct domestic regs. Mm. Um, so, absolutely, uh, we we'd always say if it doesn't conform. To the legislations then then get in touch with someone to to try and get a chair purchased via your 
employer. And yeah, that's that's key, really. It, um, it, Graham, it feels a little bit like the whole DSE assessment piece, a little bit this chair thing, potentially, you know, there'll be there'll be people who will do the assessments on their home workers, um, mm. that, you know, and there will be people who will probably do the chairs, but you almost feel you're going to potentially have to go and ask for something like this with certain employers. I, I, I think when it comes to a considerable investment, my fear on this would be is, are employers going to going to hold their hands up for, for pretty significant investment? But it's who knows? Oh, they're going to have to. I mean, that, yeah. that that's that's the be all and end all of it, really, is that they, they are going to have to put their hand in their pocket. I mean, so, so it's really interesting. You say that the people um, initially went out, bought cheap. They're now looking beginning because they're realizing that that was a, a poor investment in a way that they're, they're looking to spend more, which means actually they're, they yeah. could have put that money into something better in the first place. It was a bit of a, a you know, a, a, a poor, poor investment in the first place. Um, yeah. In terms of. And, and, and we get that. Yeah. The, I, I just wanted to pick up on a couple of things. You, you mentioned crib testing. <clears throat> I don't know whether either of you have ever been to FIRA to know what crib testing actually is, but they literally do build a little crib. Um, it's out of like balsa wood uh, with okay, some with the naked flame in it. And, yeah, and put a naked flame inside it. And and the amount of those that they put onto a piece of material is what, what that crib test is. So crib test five, you would have five cribs okay. on, on a on a on a piece of material so much. Um and, and interestingly, it's they have a cupboard. I don't know whether they still do, but they used to. They had a cupboard at Fire as well with the biggest number of players' um, cigarettes in it that I've ever seen. And and the reason for that is the reason for that is that these players' cigarettes were the cigarettes that they used for testing, and because they've always used them, they have to continue to buy players' cigarettes. They are a little little factoid for you there. If people are wondering how these things actually get tested, but this is the thing that there are. There is proper testing done on furniture of a of a particular uh, quality, and and they should carry these fire um, kite kite marks and quality marks on that furniture as well, shouldn't they, Andy? Yeah, that's it, and that's that's a, a lot of times when you are speaking to more so dealers um, regarding the regulations. That is one one of the questions, you know, is it labelled up? Absolutely, because it, it is down to the manufacturer and the reseller um, to, to make sure it's on there. And it's it, it's one of those things where you're sort of like, yes, it, it is on there. So it's brilliant for us because we know it is. We've done the research. But again, a lot of people may not necessarily know that. So if someone has got a chair at home and it doesn't have the labels on, it's very much likely that it is not conforming um, to the to those legislations. Now, one of the things that you may have heard time and time again through this pandemic, especially with people working from home, is this is all very well, uh, especially I, I've heard it when I've been doing workplace assessments, all very well. You're telling me I've got to have a, a sit-stand desk in here or, or a nice-sized desk in here, and I've got to, I've got to have a proper-sized chair, um and you know i've got to get all of this equipment in here etc but i haven't got room to swing a cap mm -hmm. there's just no way 
Um, now I'm going to bring up a picture, hopefully on everybody's screen. What what what's this, Andy? Well, so so this is the firstly the chair is uh, one of our Adapt 600s, and then this is where you can see obviously you've got the the laptop stand. So this is a product called our Zenki Tab, um, which is I say early stages. Obviously we've got a, a nice finished product there. Um, now, initially, this was sort of looked at uh, for the education um, world, but like Graham's just alluded to there, a lot of people don't have a spare bedroom for an office, room in a kitchen or a living room, um, and certainly I don't. So something like this is brilliant for me, and stereotypically, your your London um, clientele price, spaces it at a massive premium. So this was a product that was... Um, designed by Nick Arnold, our sales director, who I'm sure a lot of people have heard of. And he he designed it, as I said, in conjunction with the education sector um, to, to not just allow for something to, to give you a lot more room to maneuver and to not take up that much space because stereotypically you look at if someone wanted a, a complete desktop and um, office setup, the biggest part of that is going to be the desk. Um, but primarily, by having the the attachment to the chair, the focus is on the chair. So you are still um, sticking with a good working posture. You've got all of the adaptations that you could require in the chair. And the other thing is that the tab moves with you. So if you recline, it comes back with you. And of course, with a desk, I know we've got heights adjustments, but it's generally a flat surface that you have to go to. So there you've got, you know, some issues of overextension of the arms. But but yeah, this is a product. And as it was developed for education, then suddenly it's got a whole new market for, like you said, Graham, where, where space really is at a premium and people haven't got the room. This can fit onto an office chair and you're almost sort of killing two birds with one stone as such because you're getting a chair that's going to, really give you support system um for you know the eight hours a day or the 24 hours a day if if, if you work that, that that much longer but also it gives you a surface that is going to move about with you and it's it's nice and easy you know you just swivel it away um put it down by the side of you if you're not using it and yeah it's um it's a really nice sort of adaptation that we can now now offer that's great so tell me i mean Apart from uh, the fact that you do, and and, you, and this is one of the things that you do do, you do do chairs that fit people, and that's quite important. Yes. And, and coming back to that that point about the the uh, the chair actually meeting um, legal requirements for the home. I mean, I, again, I'd be quite interested to know how many people have actually looked at the chair in terms of whether it meets them in terms of uh, weight loading requirement which is a thing a yeah. conversation that a lot of people don't necessarily want to talk about <laughs> which is no, you know how heavy no. are you but and I, the, the and amount of times i've seen people on a ch child's chair yeah yeah that's it and it, it ties in quite nicely with our whole assessment process actually um because like you said people can be quite self-conscious about their weight 
weight um, and don't want to openly, you know, tell you the exact kilogram or stone that they are. So with our assessment process, it is very much an interactive um, assessment with the end user. You know, it, it gets them as part of it. Um, we've got the online easy spec tool, which allows you to do a real time prescription as well. But really, I think I think it's about firstly getting that general information um, and just letting them understand that this this really is an assessment process. We, we need the information to be able to get you the best possible chair um, to, to suit your needs. Um, and on the occasions where you do have um, potentially a bariatric user, uh, we've, got, we've got a brilliant chair called the ADAPT 700 um, that has been sort of set up solely to focus on, on the bariatric size. And that is um, warranted up to 40 stone. Uh, so, so we've, we've tested that ourselves. We've got our own rig in house and yeah, we've, again, a lot of work went into that, uh, not just to look at getting a seat that was big enough for a user to go into, but with the, uh, the mech, we offer a two and a half to one, um, sort of mech. So it opens a lot more, it, Stereotypically, I think with bariatric users, a lot of the weight is held um, in their in their stomach area or the tummy area. So that's where a lot of the vital organs are. So by being able to open up, it just relieves the, the pressure on this area when they're sat down. But, you know, we've also got a composite foam seat that we're, we're very confident would say the setup of that will, will never bottom out. Um, which again is is quite a an issue for bariatric users sometimes that it can be quite a hard sit and then you know there can be issues with skin integrity um but yeah that's i mean again it's almost sort of the process from initial assessment um just to i mean of course sometimes it will become quite quite clear to you as an assessor that okay and adapt 700 but again we've we've tried to develop the system and the chair to go in line with being able to help this person as best as we see fit. And then of course we can, we can put the adaptations that we offer and, and make it as bespoke as, as the end user may require. Okay. Can you, can you just give us briefly a, a couple of other examples of types of adaptions you've done for, for people? Yeah, of course. So something we're finding quite a lot actually at the moment is, um, is a, a disability called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Now, <clears throat> it's it's quite a complex um, case, and there can be different severities of it. And we've we've got a product called a V-Track. Um, oh, sorry, a V600 with a V-Track back. Now, a V-Track back is primarily a wheelchair um, adaptation. So we brought that across from V-Track um, and have adapted it to go into an adapt chair um and essentially it's a brilliant piece of engineering um it's got wings on the side that you know you can you can ratchet in so it can give you know the lateral support for for people such as have got potentially um cerebral palsy and also you know there's some uh webbing straps on the back which you can tighten up and it conforms to the shape of your spine um so that's a uh, quite a complex adaptation as a whole um 
but a, a brilliant one for us to be able to offer for for people that may not necessarily, you know, been able to get in a chair that looks like an office chair. Um, and I think that's another area that we've we've tried to make our adaptations is we we want our chairs to look like chairs. <laughs> there there yeah. are some sort of contraptions and it it fits in with the sort of the inclusivity of you know a lot of people don't want to have something that's you know got bars and things coming out of it and it looks like a contraption so we we've been quite not cautious but very very aware to make our chairs as adaptable as they can be we can bespoke anytime we get asked to do a, a different bespoke we will always do r&d and what we'll always say is when we've brought an adaption an adaptation to market we've brought that because there's a requirement for it we've we've never you know just gone off our own bat and and said right this has a place in that it's always been sort of from working with with our brilliant dealers um you know uh, assessors ot's and just building a a product that actually you know is gonna um fit a market and you know we, we do a lot of things again probably similar to to what else is on the market like your coccyx cutouts your your air cells so your lumbar sacral thoracic um we do split seats uh which can be you know really good for someone who's potentially had an amputation um there's we we are very happy and comfortable to say that you know our adaptations list is very very thorough as it is but we are always always more than happy if for the most complex situations to get involved and and see how we can help because at the end of the day that's what we are about we want to be able to provide seating for people that a and one might not necessarily be able to to have it so you know we can we can really make a difference there but then on the flip side we're we're also more than happy to say we could have a hundred people through the door and every single one of those we could fit no matter what the requirement um so yeah we've we've got a few adaptations <laughs> yeah absolutely and and i'm really pleased that we got through that whole conversation actually without mentioning the word ergonomics once um, wow <laughs> wow yeah um because look we, as we all know everyone's sitting here ergonomics as a science is is tremendous and you know creating good ergonomic solutions for people is great um but we really have seen throughout this whole period as well a lot of people just chucking that word Throw ergonomic in around, front yeah. of everything um you know and it's hopefully in listening to what andy was saying there Stephen, what comes out there is this is this is actually true ergonomics it's actually adapting the products and the you know the environment around that person to 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 benefit and suit that person in terms of their you know their their productivity uh and the work that they're trying to do etc that's what it makes things ergonomic not not just sticking a label on something in the first place and calling it an ergonomic whatever it would be that product yep. itself cannot be that that product itself cannot be ergonomic i've got this that's just arrived this morning it's the newest ergonomic pen <laughs> it says so on the tin must be true <laughs> must be true buy buy this now 
it's, it comes yeah. in ergonomic grey and ergonomic red. You know, I mean, it, it, you know, we just need to see an end to that. We really do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and for people to understand that actually, if you want to get back to true ergonomics, it's, it's people related. Don't look at the product. Look at the people first. You know, understand, understand the people. You can't sell ergonomics. Right. They're a bold statement. You can't sell ergonomics. You can you can sell um, adaptive products to people. You could sell you can sell uh, products to people that help in a situation to make people more comfortable. But you can't sell ergonomics. Yeah. Can't be done. There you go. Any 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 more questions for Andy, Stephen? Um, I mean, the one thing we haven't, I mean, you, you briefly mentioned it, Andy, is is the P word, which is price. Um, and you mentioned yep. around chairs. Is that the is that the biggest mistake people make? I mean, we find it with, with the, the type of products that we make. Do people too often buy chairs on price and not functionality? Is that is that the biggest is that the biggest problem you come across? Is that the biggest issue you have to go and remedy when someone has seen a one hundred pound chair that can be delivered next day, and you've then got to go in and resolve the issue because actually that's created more problems than that, that were there in the first place. Exactly, exactly that. And I mean, it's it's not just from what's happened over the last year where you know it was quick short term fix. Mm. People would would go and buy you know a hundred pound chair if we weren't in a pandemic, but they were working from home. And look, I mean, I, I wasn't in the industry a couple of years ago. And when you come in and you, you really see uh, the chairs and the value that they have, but the benefits of the value that they have, it's, and I keep saying it, but it's really is the education because do you know what, if you went out and got a 200 pound chair, that's, that's an, an expense to, to go and put into a home office. The thing is, it's really getting to market the yeah. fact of, you know, if, if you spend a little bit more money um, or in some cases a, a chunk of a bit more money, you're really getting benefits that are going to yeah. affect your your body, your health, your lifestyle. Um, and it, it is a it is a problem and it it isn't our our marketplace has stereotypically always been you know the 10% of users who need further postural enhancements or further help so mm. so we've we've not price wise we've not been you know in the area where if an office kit out is being done that they, they would they would come to us because our chairs are a little bit more but they meet a different a different yeah. sort of market now of course we've got chairs that could do an office kit out but predominantly we were the company was founded to to really help people um so so where we're doing that price isn't so much of an issue because mm. people really do understand that they're buying something that's going to benefit their lifestyle and don't you think andy it's, that 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 potentially could change now with more people working from home I mean, Absolutely, I think it's one yeah. one thing if you're in an office situation where you you're potentially sharing that chair with other users, which has been the case over the years. Um, yeah, you know, you're kind of making do on your shift with with that chair. But <laughs> one minute now, I'm doing all of that work from home, right? Yep. 
this this is my environment now. Mm. I actually want to take a little bit of onus on it for myself as well. I want something better. I mean, what why don't why don't businesses here's a good idea. Why don't businesses say to people, I tell you what, here's the difference between the chair that we were going to buy you and and the chair that you really want. We're put we're putting that amount of money. You 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 putting the rest. I reckon a lot of people would actually put the rest of the money in. And and you know what? I think that's that's a big one because a lot of times, you know, sometimes it can be a bit of a checkbox just to make sure that if a user has been seen by an OT or health and safety have got involved, it's just, yeah, we've got them a chair now that it reclines, it's got arms, it's got a neck rest. Mm. Well, for that for that employee, if they are very much part of the process, um, and you know, either if we've We've got level one, which are more of our out-of-the-box products, and level two, which is going to be the adapt range. But in both of those, we've got a measuring system. Adapt, a bit more complex, um, but a product like our ZentoFit, which is a, a remote assessment tool, um, that really will mean a lot to an employee. And for their their, their work satisfaction, um, the loyalty to the company, if, you know, it, for not that much more investment from the employer to really get someone feel like they are very much appreciated, um, get them involved with measuring themselves to get a chair that's really going to fit them. I think the the positives certainly outweigh the negatives of a, a couple of hundred pounds. Um, but again, I, I'm, I, I know I've not said ergonomics, but I keep saying education, <laughs> but but it is it is really education potentially you know for facility managers um for for someone within the health and safety team the hr team just that this is available on the market so it might be a little bit more expensive but you are checking off a, a lot of things not just on the health the posture the the domestic fire regulations um the the workers satisfaction um and yeah, so so it's a tricky one with the price because really in our markets, it's it's not a price-driven product. It's very much the process and, and yeah. what we can offer, but particularly sort of in the level one products where we would generally say that if someone's had a DSE assessment and, you know, they've not really, they might have a little bit of a, of a sore bottom bag, so they might have a lumbar that's where your, your level ones will come in. It's more, more serious cases to go up to yeah. two, but um, that's where you'd see the price becoming a bit more of a, of a problem because you could, you, you could easily go and get a, a different chair for a couple of hundred pounds, which does similar things. Not as, not as good, <laughs> but yeah, but you see what I mean. I, I just think it's a, it needs a change of priority, and I think eventually we're going to get there with this. Um, you know, it's it's that shift. We have seen it with Joe Public over the years. People spend much more money, as you you mentioned it yourself. People spend much more money on their mattresses now than they ever used yeah. to. Yeah. You know, you can actually go into, uh, a, you know, one of the high street retailers now selling mattresses, and you can buy things like Vicebrunk. That's fifteen grand on a mattress. Right, mm. not everybody's spending fifteen grand on the mattress, but the fact is, they there are fifteen grand mattresses in those showrooms. Some yeah. people do buy them. 
but mm. you know quite quite a lot of people are buying uh you know simba emma whatever and those those are not cheap you know no. you're you're still you're still talking you know a thousand pounds maybe for some of those mattresses um think about it in terms of people's cars you know, yeah. people like if you if you're driving a BMW Series Three, folks, you're you've spent three and a half grand on your car seat. Put it that way, you've spent three and a half grand on your car seat. How long do you spend in that car seat? Not very long at all, probably an hour a day tops. <laughs> well, how long do you spend in your bed? How long do you spend in that office chair during the day? Come on, you know, just wake up, smell yeah. the coffee, put some put some extra beans in there. You know, <laughs> so thanks, Andy, for coming on. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for no, joining no us. problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, I'm sure as this rolls through during the day, and we pick up more viewers, there will be more questions, and we'll, we'll get those back to you. If you're listening on Spotify, hi. Um, <laughs> you didn't get to see the chair with the tablet um, because it's a very uh. visual thing. But what yeah. we showed you there in that that middle section was a chair that had a, a holder on there, so you could use potentially a, a, a tablet sat in the chair. A great idea if all you have is enough room to swing a cat in your flat. So <laughs> from now, <laughs> it's it's goodbye from me, Graham Cove. Goodbye from Stephen. Thanks, Andy. Uh, thanks to no problem. Um, our other guest today, and um, we'll see you again next week. Bye for now. Thanks. Bye. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Wow Ergonomics, sponsored by Bakker Elkhuizen.